people that can't be here, couldn't be here, but Frank and Robin, uh, they were both going to share a testimony uh, this, this evening as well. Uh, but as, as you know, if you're here this morning, uh, they are home with the flu, like Kathy is. My wife is home. She was going to share a testimony this evening, uh, but uh, she is also home now. She's not sick, but Elijah, pray for him, uh, has fever. Uh, this evening sparked, or spiked up to about 101.2, and uh, so he wasn't feeling very well, and she's, she's home watching him. And, uh, but I, I just want to say this. I am so thankful for what God is doing. Uh, so thankful for how God works in our, in, in our individual lives. We, uh, he doesn't deal with us necessarily just as a group. Now, he deals with us as a church. He blesses us as a church, but he deals with us as individuals, and he ministers and, and works in our hearts as individuals, and I'm thankful that we, I have a God and that you have a God that knows, knows us each by name and that works in us as individuals. He sees our needs. He sees our weaknesses. He sees uh, what it is that we need to grow, and, to, and uh, he sees the churches that we need. I, I appreciated the, the fact that the, many of the testimonies were how God brought them to this church. Listen, uh, while, while our church is, uh, is, has been a blessing to those of you that said that, you have also been a blessing to our church. And uh, there isn't a single person that is here uh, that God did not bring here uh, that is just extra, that is just uh, an outsider. Uh, while sometimes we might feel like outsiders, the Bible says that we are fitly joined together, uh, that uh, there, there's no extra pieces and extra parts. You buy something from Ikea and put it together, there's always something left over. If I take my car apart and put it back together, I can guarantee you there will be things left over. In fact, there probably won't be back together. But when God builds something, and the Bible says that God is building the church, amen? When God builds something, there is nothing extra. Everything is here for a purpose. And sometimes we're here to, to heal. Sometimes we're here, we're here to grow. Sometimes we're here to, to serve and sometimes to be served. There, there's different needs at different times in each of our lives. But God is working, and I praise the Lord for that. I praise the Lord for my family. I praise the Lord for my wife and my, my four beautiful children. Uh, I am so thankful for how he has worked. I'm thankful for my parents and and uh, uh, just the, the blessing I've had growing up, I grew up in a Christian home and, and uh, thankful that I heard the gospel from the time I was literally days old until um, I, I finally accepted Christ at the age of 15. I'm thankful that the Spirit of God spoke to me and, uh, and I understood that it was for me. It wasn't just the message, but it was the message for me. And uh, because without that understanding, without that knowledge, I never would have come to Christ. Uh, but uh, I'm so thankful for that. And I just want to say to you all that I love you, and I'm so thankful for the church that God has put together in this place. And as we grow together uh, in, in, in numbers, as people come in, as people get saved and get baptized, as, as uh, we grow together uh, in spirit, uh, in the knowledge of the word, uh, what a blessing it is. I'm looking forward uh, to what God is going to do with us in 2023 and 2024. And however long the Lord tarries, and leaves us here. Uh, I'm looking forward to that day, uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to see what God does. Um, now, Ezra is under pressure, um, been voluntold. Uh, he's going to come up and read to us uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 8 down through the 21. So if you want to grab your Bibles and you can follow along with him, Luke chapter 2, it's right here, buddy. You can just read the outline verses. He's going to read verses 8 through 21. Now. 
And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angels of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born the day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth peace good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us know, go even unto Bethlehem, and see the thing which is come to pass, which is the Lord hath made known unto us. And that they that came with haste to, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known aboard the saying which was told them concerning this child and all the things that they had heard and the wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherd returned glorifying God and praising them, God for all the things that they had heard and seen as was told unto him, unto them. Amen. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Can you grab me a, a, a bottle of water? I've been drinking coffee all day, and if I keep drinking it, I'm going to not sleep tonight. Take your, take your Bibles if, with me, if you would, and turn to Isaiah, not Isaiah, that was this morning. Uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2. This is our, our candlelight service, and uh, I am so thankful again, as I said, for the opportunity for us to worship the Lord together. And As we prepare for Christmas, and we're looking at the Christmas story, we're all very familiar with it. One of the things that I fear and one of the things that I have noticed is when I become familiar with something, I, well, sometimes it loses its luster. Something that you talk about, something that you hear over and over and over again, while you understand it, it doesn't necessarily mean as much to us as it as it could or should. And the truth is, I've been hearing the, the Christmas story since I was, well, a baby. I've, I've read Luke chapter 2 to, uh, with my kids since I've had kids, and I can remember doing that with my parents when I was growing up. I don't know how many messages I heard on Christmas at growing up. And I, 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 I want to say this, the, the Christmas story never gets old. It never never loses its power, but if we're not paying close enough attention, it can kind of go in one year and out the other because, hey, it's Christmas and we're talking about Jesus' birth and 
You ever had that happen? Have you ever been talking to somebody and they're listening, but they're not listening? I experience that every Sunday. I'm kidding. Come on. You are paying attention. Uh, sometimes it's us, right? My, uh, my wife will be talking or my kids will be talking, and, and I'm not saying they talk a lot. That's not what I'm saying. Please, my wife is watching, so don't kill me when I get home. Uh, but but the, they'll, they'll be saying something, and my mind is on something else, and I miss what was being said. Even if I get the words, there's a difference between hearing the word and understanding the word. In fact, uh, in the book of Amos, and we're not going to turn there, but uh, there's a reference there that, that there's a warning to the people of Israel that there was going to come a time of famine, not of water or of food, but of hearing the word of God. Now, uh, what, what, what God was saying through Amos wasn't that, that uh, there wouldn't be somebody preaching the word or there wouldn't be copies of the word. In fact, the, the word used there isn't the, the hearing with the ear, but the understanding. There's going to come a time when people would hear, but they weren't listening. And that, what I'm afraid of is that, especially at Christmas, when we're bombarded with all the things that are going on in this world, that we forget what Christmas is all about. And we might re- remember the manger, and we might remember the baby. And we talked about this this morning, so I, I promise I'm, I won't promise anything. I'm going to do my best not to preach a really long message, and I won't, try to, uh, I won't try to rehash all the things that we talked about this morning, but the truth is, it's not about a baby. The first advent was, was a wondrous thing, and yes, it was heralded by the angels, because this birth was the, the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah, but it wasn't about a baby. It was about a Messiah. It was about a promise fulfilled for the salvation of all mankind. And so this, this, this evening, I almost said this morning, this morning I said this evening, this evening we're going to talk about Philippians chapter 2, which is not a typical Christmas passage. But in these verses, we're going to see the very story of Christmas. And then we're going to see what that story means and how it should, as Christians, affect us. My introduction is five points. My message is only one. Dan told me I had that backwards. But I bet I can make it last a long time either way. Let's read Philippians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 6. We're going to read down through verse 13. Verse 6 is this, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that at the, na- t- at the name, sorry, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the blessed message of the Savior's birth. Lord, the blessed promise of his death and the fulfillment of it. And Lord, the inheritance that we have and the salvation that we can have because of, of what he's given to us. I pray, God, that you would help me to preach your word. I, got, I ask you, God, that you would give me the words to speak, uh, that you would give me uh, the, the power to speak. And, Lord, that uh, your word would have its way in each of our hearts, and that ultimately that you would be glorified and that, that, that your will would be done. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I mentioned this morning that the greatest uh, power of God was not in uh the greatest power of the Christmas story wasn't in the, the miracles that that baby would, would one day perform. And uh, there's a song about that. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? It was written by a man named Mark, uh, Mark, Mark Lowry, comedian and, and a great singer and good songwriter. And, and, and it, it, to stop and think about that is, is really fantastic. The, uh, what what would that one that baby would one day do? But the re, re, the reason that baby could one day do it is because of who that baby was. It, it wasn't just a fluke. It wasn't some kind of supernatural powers. It wasn't like the movies where you get bitten by a spider and and suddenly you can do things. It's not how that works. We see here in in Philippians chapter two. First of all, in verse six, we see the preexistence, his preexistent self. He said, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Isaiah 53, 1 says this, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It's speaking of Jesus. And it says, who hath believed our report? Uh, that, that, that prophecy in Isaiah is, is speaking prophetically of, of the Savior who would one day be born, but ultimately would one day die. And they're saying, who would believe this? Who's going to look at this man and, and see who he really was? The following verses talk about uh, how he, he wasn't comely, and, and we'll get to that in a moment. But, but his preexistent self is not that he was a baby or that he was created at that point in time. We need to understand, and we talked about this morning, so we won't go into length, this at length, but he existed before he was ever born. John chapter 1, again, we read this this morning, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and... Uh, without him was not anything made that was made. John 17, 4 and 5, Jesus himself praying to the Father said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the, catch this, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He was God before the world was. And as God, he had everything about him that was God. Uh, his form was as God. When he was born, he was born with flesh like you and me. He had little chubby fingers and little chubby, chubby hands and little chubby cheeks as that little baby. But before he was born, he was spirit. He was God. He wasn't an idea. He wasn't a plan. I've heard this before. There is a false doctrine out there that will say the Trinity is not real. Taught in Scripture. Now, the word Trinity is nowhere found in Scripture. But the doctrine of the Trinity, the three in one, is all throughout the Scripture. 
When, when Jesus was, was baptized, you see his, the Son baptized. When he comes up, the, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and lights upon him. And the Father from heaven says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In one moment, at one point in time, you see all three together at one place. The Trinity the, 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 the Trinity is, is three separate persons in one Godhead. And while that is difficult for us to understand and to wrap our minds around, that doesn't negate that the, the truth of the word is true, regardless of whether I can understand it or not. There are a lot of things that I don't understand. Physics? Algebra? Eh. I, I'm not good at those things. doesn't make it any less true. I, I may not be able to fully articulate or fully grasp the the, 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 the vast uh, doctrine of, of certain things, but that doesn't mean that the Bible isn't true in teaching those things. So Jesus, there before his birth, existed. Oh, we saw that he had power as creator this morning. We mentioned that. But his form was, was not like a form that we have ever seen. It was spirit. God is spirit. The Bible talks about how he sits upon the, the circle of the earth doesn't mean that he's literally sitting down. It's figurative language so that you and I can understand and, and kind of grasp these, these truths. It, it talks about his eyes uh, looking about. Listen, it's not saying that God has eyes looking down at us. Just that God sees everything. He doesn't have a physical body, God the Father, God the Spirit, uh, God the Son before his birth. Uh, but he was in form God. But as, as God, he had everything that was God. Yet all the glory of God. We just read the verse where he said, Return unto me the glory that I had when I was with thee before the world began. He had all the glory. I want you to, that we, you and I can't understand the glory of God because we've never seen it. Uh, we, uh, it's like trying to describe uh, the taste of an orange to somebody who's never tasted it or just trying to describe a sunrise to somebody who's blind. They, they, they can get the concept of it, but they can't really grasp the beauty of it and the magnitude of it and how amazing it is. When, when my wife and I, excuse me, my voice is going apparently. When my wife and I went to, to, to the Dominican Republic this last, uh, this last March, man, the the sunrises were gorgeous. Uh, uh, we'd go, I was going down to the beach. It happened four or five. I don't like to get up early, but I got up early on those mornings. I am getting up earlier now that I'm exercising and you know, healthy. Uh, but uh, uh, it's, uh, I, I got up in the mornings, and I would go down, and I would just watch the sunrise over the ocean. Man, what a beautiful thing. I could take a picture of it, and I could show you the picture of it, but until you're there, it's not the same. We can talk about the glory of God, and, and we can imagine it in our minds, but the truth is, we, our imaginations are a, are a pale comparison to the reality. Seeing a picture of the Grand Canyon doesn't do it justice. Hearing a description of the Grand Canyon doesn't do it justice. You know what does it justice? Climbing down in the middle of the Grand Canyon, standing by the Colorado River, and looking up in awe at all that God has created. That will do it justice. You know how you're going to see and understand the glory of God in its magnitude and what it really is? When you see God for the first time. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah stands there and in his vision he sees God on his throne and his glory fills the temple. And you know what he says? He didn't say, oh, that's pretty nice. No. 
He says, woe is me, for I am undone. For, for the first time, he saw holiness as it really was. And in comparison to the God's holiness, he, the prophet of God, realized just in what kind of trouble he was in. He says, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Listen, you and I can talk about the glory of God. We can, we can expound to our heart's content the glory of God, but we will never understand the glory of God until we see it. But I want you to understand this, that while we may not be able to grasp it, and while we may not be able to understand it, Jesus Christ, in, in his pre-existent form, had all the glory of God. The angels, they worshipped him. The, uh, everything bowed its knee to Jesus because he was God. The only ones that didn't bow to Jesus were God the Father and God the Holy Spirit because they three were equal. The three together. In his form, we see his form. We see his equality there in verse 6. Verse 6 says, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Do you know why he didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God? He, didn't, he wasn't taking something from God and declaring that he was God? Because guess what? He was God. There, there, he was no less than the Father and no more than the Holy Spirit. The three, uh, they're three in one, three separate persons. Now, yes, uh, they're, 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 he came to submit himself to the will of the Father. Uh, uh, didn't make him any less valuable or any less important or less powerful. The, the three work together as one, just like a husband and a wife do the same thing. A wife is no less valuable than her husband. But the Bible gives roles for each of us to play. In fact, the Bible says that uh, just like the, 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 the husband is, is the head over the wife, and again, no, she's no more important, it says that Christ is the head of the church. It talks about the roles and the, the authority, and God the Father has authority over the Son because the Son is submissive to the Father, but I want you to understand they are equal. So his form was like God. His, he was equal with God, and, and he had the reputation of the glory of God. Number two, I want you to see this, his profound transformation. We see it in verse 7. It says, but made himself of no reputation. Here, God the Son made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Here, God, the Son, the glorified one, the, 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 an el the, uh, the elevated one, the one co-equal with the Father, co-equal with the Holy Spirit, the one full of glory, tra changed. He transformed himself. It said he was in the form of God, but here it says in verse 7, he made himself of no reputation. He set aside his glory. Uh, the, the, the word literally means, it's literally translated, uh, is he emptied himself. Now, I'm not going to tell you that he was not God. He did not uh, set aside his deity, but he submitted himself to the will of the Father. The Bible says the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane said, prayed, not my will, but thy will be done, as he prayed to the Father. He, he emptied himself. He, 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 he humbled himself. His form changed. He was in spirit, but he made himself in likeness of a man. He made himself a servant. Now, 
His form changed. He emptied himself. His reputation changed. He, he was no longer the, 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 the man or the, the, the glorified one as he was before. Notice what it says in Isaiah 53, 2 and 3. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is des despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid it as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Jesus Christ, the, 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 the Son of God, the one of glory, came to this earth and set aside his glory to be despised and rejected. He humbled himself. Listen, uh, this child that was born should have been born not in a manger, uh, in some, uh, in, in some uh, cattle stall, but he should have been born in a palace exalted above everybody else. The angels had worshipped him, and now men have despised and rejected him. That's what he set aside. Can you imagine the, the transformation that took place? He had to humble himself. He deserves all the worship. That he received. But he gave it up for a purpose. He gave it up so that he could come to this earth and die for us. For us, he was stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. For us, he went through the, 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 the childbirth and the growth and the, 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 the pains and the, the hungers and the temptations and the struggles and the, the rejection, the, the, the betrayal, all of it. He did it for you and for me. That is what Christmas is all about. Amen. Not about a baby in a manger. I'm, thank, I'm thankful that he came, and I'm thankful that he was born in a manger, but I'm so much more thankful that he died on the cross for my soul. You see his profound transformation. Next, notice his propitiatory death. Propitiation is a word that means this. The action of propitiating or appeasing of God, spirit, or person. It literally says this in the dictionary, as in the atonement, especially that of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died for our sins, uh, he was the propitiation. Uh, I quoted the verse this morning from 1 John. Uh, Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Uh, uh, praise God that his death was not meaningless or purposeless. He died for you and for me to pay our sin debt. Because if nobody else had paid it, we'd have to pay it for ourselves. The greatest gift is not whatever you find under your tree. The greatest gift is the gift of salvation given to you through the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse John 2, 2 says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let me remind you this, that he didn't just die for you or for the people within the walls of this building. He died for the sins of the whole world, whether the skin is black or red or yellow or green or orange or purple. I don't care, and he doesn't care. He died for them, whether they live in this country or some other country, or they live in the jungle and nobody has ever seen them before. He died for them because he loved them. John 4, 9 and 10 says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because the God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. 
And then again, hearing his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There is a debt that must be paid. Romans 3, 23 through 25 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by the grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Jesus Christ died to pay for our sin debt. You say, well, I'm not that bad of a person. Compared to me, maybe not. Compared to the person sitting next to you, or maybe Adolf Hitler, probably not. But compared to the glory of God, the Holy One, the one who was perfect, the one who was sinless, the one whom the man of God stood before and said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Where do you stand? You stand in the same place the rest of us do, in need of God's grace and mercy. Because if you do not receive the grace and mercy of God, you will receive the judgment of God because sin must be judged. And it's declared in Romans chapter 6, 23, the wages of our sin is death. Listen, we all physically die. We get old. Our, Our bodies don't work the way that they used to. As you get older, you find that. You start to ache in places that you... That's not the death it's talking about. It's not talking about death of old age. It's not talking of death by traumatic circumstances. Uh, I don't know how many people, I, at times I, I would arrive as a firefighter or a paramedic, arrive on scene and see some terrible, terrible scene where somebody had passed away. It's not what it's talking about. Because all men die. It's talking about the spiritual death that took place the, the day that Adam took of the fruit and bit it. When God had said, don't eat of this tree, but you can eat of all the rest. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. See, but I'm not that bad. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so the death passed upon a few men, all men. Every man, woman, and child that has ever been born is born with this curse, born with this sin nature that you cannot get away from. And it doesn't matter how good you think you are or how good you try to be. I want you to understand this. Without the the redemptive work of Christ on that cross, you will die in your sins and you will stand before God one day and be judged in your sin. And this, too, is the Christmas message. Because if, if Christ hadn't been born he hadn't died, we would all be judged. But praise God for his mercy and praise God for his love because he loved you and he loved me. And whether or not you acknowledge his love and whether or not you believe in his love or whether or not you have ever experienced his love, you will not experience his love until you trust in Christ. You can't understand what real love is until you trust in Christ. It is sacrificial. It is unselfish. Jesus gave up everything for you. see the death, we see the judgment, and then we see the atonement. Isaiah 53, 5 through 10 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Just change the words a little bit. Instead of saying our transgressions and our iniquities, put my in there. He was bruised for my iniquities. 
He was wounded for my transgressions. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and with his stripes I am healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of me. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, he bore your sin. It was your charges that were laid against him. It was, it was your sin that he carried on the cross and as he, as he hung there. And listen, it wasn't the nails in his hands or the, the beating that he had received or the, the, the fact that his beard had been ripped from his face or the, the stripes on his back and his flesh and bones exposed. It, it wasn't any of those things. It wasn't the, the crown of thorns upon his head or the, the hanging there in agony for hours while he struggled to breathe. That wasn't, wasn't what appeased God. In Isaiah 53, 11, it says that he saw the agony of his soul. He was going through those physical punishments, yes, but he was going through the fact that God had turned his back on the one to whom he had fellowship his entire eternal existence. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Because for the first time, he wasn't in fellowship with the Father. And he did that for you and for me. And I want you to understand this. That that judgment will one day come upon you if you're not saved. It doesn't matter if you come to church or you go to church or you've been a member here for years. God doesn't care about church membership to save you. Our works don't save us. It doesn't matter if you're a good person, you'll give somebody the shirt off your back. You're a sinner and will be judged by God. And you'll get that. You'll stand before God and you'll say, but I was a good person. And he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And you'll be cast forever into outer darkness, into the lake of fire. And you'll stand before God. When all you had to do was cling to the cross, to see Jesus for who he was and what he had done. There's judgment coming. Christ paid for our sins. Because of what he did on that cross, because of the fact that he bore our, our, our iniquities, because he bore the wrath of God, and God's wrath was satisfied by that. I want you to see his potentiated position, what God did. He exalts him because of it. Verses 9 through 11 of, of Philippians 2 says this, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. Listen, this world will take the name of Jesus Christ and they'll drag it through the mud and they'll use it as a curse word and a swear word. And it, it, Listen, they should be ashamed of themselves. They won't use the name of Buddha, the name of uh, Muhammad or any other name like that, but they'll take the name of Christ and they'll destroy it because they had no respect for him. As Christians, we need to be very careful of this. It is a highly exalted name above every other name, he says in, in verse 9. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and of things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The text this morning was Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. We, we see this play out. This promise here is a sister passage. This is, 
For unto us the child is born, and unto us the son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of the government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Notice his exalted name. It is above every other name. Notice also his exalted throne. Listen, there is no other. Listen, governments have power. And sometimes we put the government up here and sometimes it's down here, depending on who you voted for and who won the election. And the truth is none of that matters. There's going to come a day when Jesus Christ is the only one who will rule and reign. The Bible says he is king of kings and lord of lords. And that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And notice that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you know what the word Lord means? Master. Now listen, uh, I didn't vote for the person who's in office right now. And I'm not trying to say anything about anybody that did. I don't want to know. I don't care. My point is this. It doesn't matter who's in that office. He's not my Lord. Whether I voted for him or not. The last guy wasn't my Lord either. My Lord is my God. My Savior, Jesus Christ. His his throne is not a four-year term. He cannot be voted in or voted out. He has been placed there by God, the Father. He has been exalted to that throne And notice his exalted reputation. As Jesus prayed back in John 17, Return unto me the glory that I once had. Listen, he has all that glory returned. He has been glorified. He has been honored. He has been exalted. Praise God for, for, for that. But I want you to, this is something that we as Christians need to get a hold of. One day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. But as a child of God, today you should bow and you should confess. You know who should sit on the throne of your heart today? Jesus Christ. Not self. Not anybody else. Jesus Christ. And in a practical way, that means that he is the Lord of your life. That you, that you strive to live obediently to the word of God, and to glorify God with your life. Self is not on the throne. Self does not, we don't do things or live this life to serve self. We do and live this life to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords because he is Lord. His exalted name, his exalted throne, his exalted reputation. And now to the message. While we have looked and laid the groundwork for why we should do what we're going to talk about here in a moment, as we look at the exalted Savior and the work that he did, I want you to notice this, verses 12 through 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. That word wherefore means looking at all the things that we've just talked about. 
He is exalted because he humbled himself and left heaven and came to this earth and humbled himself to die on the cross for you and I to pay for our sins. And now he's highly exalted up and put on a place of authority and put on the throne ahead of us and before us. Listen, now is the time that we do what we're about to talk about because of what he has done for us. Look at the petition response. First of all, we see an accomplished or the accomplishment of salvation. Before I go anywhere with this, I want to make this very clear. We do not work salvation. Salvation works in us. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I am not trying to teach you to add to your salvation, to your faith, to gain salvation. The salvation that is in us works in us. Notice this verse, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Underline this. Work out your own salvation. If you would just take that one phrase, it could cause you to wonder, do I have to do something for my salvation? But we know throughout all the rest of the scripture that it is by faith in Christ alone. Amen? By grace are you saved through faith. We're justified by faith. It is only through our faith in what Jesus Christ did. Uh, as I mentioned this morning, the, the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And uh, Guy mentioned this, this passage uh, uh, in his testimony. And the answer is this. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There's, it's faith plus nothing. So what does it mean then? What does it mean to work out our own salvation. That word work out means to accomplish or to fulfill. See, when you got saved, if you're saved here today, if you've accepted Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, trusting his finished work on the cross to pay for your sin, he has begun a good work in you. Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And, and back in John chapter 3, when in this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus said, Marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. That new birth is salvation. One of the things that I struggled with growing up, making a, a profession of faith as a young person, at, at, at five or six years old, I didn't understand. And for years I questioned and I worried and I, I was afraid of, was I saved or not? And the truth was, I wasn't saved. And it wasn't until I was 15, and I, I came to an understanding that, that, uh, that, that this was for me. I didn't just raise my hand because the pastor said, if you don't want to die and go to hell, raise your hand. Because that's why I raised my hand. I don't want to go to hell. And nobody in their right mind does. But there came a point in time when I understood it was for me, and I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And God began a good work in, in me. But as I grew up, after I was baptized and grow, growing up in church, I still wondered. I went through periods of time where I doubted and feared, and maybe I'm not saved. And Have you ever had that fear? Have you ever had that doubt? You don't have to raise your hand. The truth is, I know what's in your heart. We all, at some point in time, will struggle with that. In fact, there's a verse that we're going to look at here in a moment that tells us that we will do this if we don't work out our own salvation. 
Turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at a passage of this, but look at verse 9 with me, if you would. And then we'll look at the rest of it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. It says, But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. He's saying, this person who lacks what's in the verses previous to this is blind. He's walking around like he can't see. He's, uh, he, he's, he's, he's blind. He, he cannot see afar off. He can't see heaven. He can't see his future. He doesn't know. He's worried. He's afraid. There's anxiety there. Am I saved? Am I not saved? And then it says, he hath forgotten that he has been purged. So listen, you know how you got purged from your old sins? Salvation. It's talking about a Christian who has forgotten that they're saved, that has forgotten what God has done in their life and the salvation that they have had. They're, they're struggling with this. And this is a, a battle that many Christians across this country, across this world, have dealt with for years. And in fact, in this time, back in, in Second Peter, we're dealing with, that's why Peter wrote this. Now jump back up to verse 4. Wherefore, or whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, I've got this part underlined, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Praise God for the precious promise of his word. It is by the promises of God, the promise of redemption, the promise of justification, the promise of forgiveness, that I can be cleansed from this old nature, that I can be given a, a, a new spirit, that I can be born again and have new life. And, that I can, and how I can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Notice verse 5. And beside this, speaking of our faith, giving all diligence, and you work at it, add to your faith. Following is a list of things that I don't have the time to go through this evening. I'll read them, but we don't have time to, to explain or preach them, or we'll be here till tomorrow or next week. But it says, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, if you add these things to your faith, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you grow in grace, as you grow in your faith, as you grow to be more like Christ, as you add these things to your faith, you're not going to be barren or unfruitful. Now, don't raise your hands, but have you ever been convicted because you're not as fruitful as a child of God that you know you should be? I'll raise my hand for all of us. I haven't been fruitful at times. Uh, there, there have been times when, when I've done something or responded in the flesh, I'm like, why would I do that? If I was saved, I wouldn't say that or act that way or respond in this way. I wouldn't look at that. I wouldn't think that. Why? Because I haven't added some of these things to my faith. I'm, I'm not abounding. The Bible says we're to abound in our Christian life. 
We're not just to, to have fruit here and there, but the, the, the word abounding signifies a, a bountiful amount of fruit. You ever go apple picking? When we go apple picking, uh, it, it's not saying that you go and, uh, when I, we go apple picking, I like to just eat the apples right off the trees. A lot of us like to live our Christian life like that. Every once in a while, I'll get until I'm full and then I'm done. But if you're smart, you'll be like the Damons. The Damons went and they, 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 I don't know how they do this, but they purchased a tree. And they got all the apples off that tree. Brother, Brother James, how many pounds of apples do you guys have still in your house? Too many. Hundreds of pounds of apples. 700, that's a bountiful amount of apples. More than, more than the 800s. It's a lot of apples. That's a bountiful amount. We, it's important for us to understand that, that when Christ saved us and he's working us, he, he's doing it for the purpose that we can live bountiful lives, full of the fruit of the Spirit of God. But if we do not add these things to our faith, guess what's going to happen? We'll be barren. You, you read John chapter 15, it talks about, uh, about, about those that are in Christ, but not bearing fruit. There are too many Christians today that are in Christ, but not bearing fruit. And they're wondering why. Oh, what, what am I doing wrong? This tells us what we're doing wrong. We're not adding to our faith virtue, knowledge, and temperance, and patience, and godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. Verse 10 says this, Wherefore, the, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. You know what he's saying there? The same thing that, that, that uh, Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. To work out your own salvation. Give diligence. Now, it's not saying that, that you're doing anything to save yourself. You're trusting in the promises of God. He's saying that you're doing, you're doing this to, 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 to stand your feet firm in the faith, knowing that you're not going to wander off. In fact, the next verse is this. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Now, that doesn't mean fall from grace or fall from salvation. That means stumble. Stumble. When we walk in the darkness, we stumble. Ever walk through your house in the dark and your wife moves something on you? I've broken off a toenail doing that. When we walk in darkness, now listen, Christ is the light, and he's the light of the world, and he is the light of our life, he's the light of men, and he gives us the word, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He gives us the word of God to educate us and to direct us, but if we walk outside of, or away from, what are we doing? We're walking in darkness. We're not adding to our faith. We risk stumbling. There is a accomplished salvation. He says, work out your own salvation. It is our job to do everything that we can because Christ sits on the throne of our hearts to glorify God and to serve him and to obey his word. Not to live our lives for us or for what is pleasing to us. Not to, to, to garner a, 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 a retirement for, uh, to, that we can just sit on the porch and drink coffee in our old age. Uh, not so that we can uh, purchase a car or a motorcycle or whatever else it is. Not what our lives are for. Our lives are for the propagation of the gospel and the glory of God. 
Paul said this, the love of Christ constraineth me. It pushes me. It drives me. He goes on to talk about if Christ, one, died for us, then we're all dead, but that we should all live for him. Who do you live your life for? Are, are, are you striving your best to, to, to serve God, to, to add these things, uh, to, to learn and st- study and read the word and apply the word to your life and live for him? Or, or do we just live in this culture and allow the culture to affect us? Because the culture will affect you. It will. Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This world will affect you and will cause you to conform, even as a child of God, to live like them. Look at how the church has conformed uh, to the world in, in, in the politics and all the other mess. We are to not be conformed, but to be transformed. So there's the accomplished salvation Notice verse 11 of 2 Peter 4, or 2 Peter 1. It says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God is going to, that means God is going to strengthen us. He's going to open the doors and enable us and help us to do these things. Now there's, there's the, the action or the accomplished salvation. There's the attitude of humility. You see it back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. With fear and trembling is used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his own ability completely to meet all requirements, but religiously does his utmost to fulfill his duty. Jesus Christ sits on the throne of your heart. He is your Lord. He is your King. He is your Master. If you're like Paul, if, you're, if we are as we should be, humble in our own lack of ability to do anything for God, we will tremble and we will fear at the thought of our failure. Because He is King and He is Lord. And I don't want to fail Him. I'm not afraid that he's going to destroy me if I don't do it right. I'm afraid, I'm fearful that my attempt will shame him. He says, make, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The truth is, the best that we can do isn't good enough. You can turn your, your, your mouth around you can stop going to places that you know you shouldn't go. You can, you can do those things. But if you do it in your own strength, and if you do it in your own power, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to fall back into it. You can stop smoking, and guess what? You'll probably start smoking again. You can stop drinking. You can, you'll probably start drinking again if you're doing it in your own strength. If, if, if you're, you're, you're swearing, guess what? Uh, you may stop for a while, but if you hear it enough, guess what's going to pop out of your mouth? I got saved at 15, and praise God, I grew up in a good, godly Christian home and had, uh, with a good church that was raised and taught me the right way. But at 24, I walked away. 
I walked away from everything, and I, 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 I dove into the world thinking the world had something to offer that, that I was missing out on. And guess what? I found out they were right. Misery. It wasn't everything I thought it was supposed to be. I was miserable. But you know what happened to my mouth? I began to curse like everybody else. I hadn't said a swear word until I was 24 years old, but I had a, a mouth as terrible as anybody else. I, I put a, a, as much alcohol in my throat as I could. And listen, I'm not trying to glorify that. And, and listen, it isn't worth it, young people. I just want you to understand that just because you're saved doesn't mean you can't do stupid things. I did those stupid things. And I'm ashamed that I did those stupid things. And I'm thankful for the grace of God that he allowed me and forgave me. To, he brought me back to him. But I want you to understand that, 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 that we can't just do it because we think it's the right thing to do. It doesn't earn us anything. It doesn't make God love you anymore. It doesn't. He can't love you any more than he already does. He loves you unconditionally. That doesn't mean he wants us to stay the way we are. He wants us to change, but he doesn't want us to change in our own strength because he can't. That working out of our salvation is a work of God, and that's the next thing I want us to see. See, it's an assisted work. And this is my last point. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is of God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's God that works in you that makes you even want to do what's right. Not only not just do right, but to make you will and to do his good pleasure. He puts in us the desire to do right. You know, every time that I, be, I was swearing and I was cursing, there was something nagging in the back of my head that said, shut your mouth, don't talk like that. I didn't listen to it. You know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit of God. It's funny, I would do that at work, but I'd never swore in front of my wife. It's funny, I would, I, the one time I slipped, it wasn't in front of my wife, it was my sister. I was on the phone with her, and I, I was on the way home from the, uh, I worked a 24-hour shift on the ambulance. I was uh, going to a, a rescue meeting, uh, and I was, I was on the phone talking to my sister because I hadn't talked to her in six, six weeks or more, and I was trying to eat and drive all at the same time. Not a good idea. And I got pulled over. The cop saw me, turned the light on as I was looking for my Diet Pepsi, and, which I don't drink anymore, and I, I, I opened it up, and I took a swig, and he thought I was drinking alcohol because I swerved off, because I was doing so much all at the same time. And the lights popped on, and, and he pulled me over. And when the lights came on, and then suddenly I realized who I was talking to. And, <gasps> I'm so sorry. I'm not proud of that. But it wasn't that I just wanted to clean up my mouth or clean up my act. God began to work in me. God convicted me of my sin. God showed me my mistakes. It's God that worked in me both to desire to do good and to do of his good pleasure. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, This all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Notice verse 17 that the man of God may be perfect or mature or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God gives us the word of God so that we can have all that we need to work out our own salvation. God does the work. It gives us what we need to work it out. It's assisted. I can't do it on my own. I, I, I can't just change what I want to do. God works in me. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly 
in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jesus himself, uh, speaking to the disciples, says, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed to the Father, sanctify them, speaking of his disciples, through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We cannot do this on our own. You want to honor God? Listen, the kids sing a happy birthday, Jesus. We're celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But we're expecting something from the one whose birthday it is. Now, he has offered himself up freely as a sacrifice for our sins. But as we celebrate his birth, shouldn't we give him something back? Shouldn't we offer something to the Lord? And listen, he doesn't want our, our paltry words. He doesn't want to hear us say that we love him and then not do what he says. Because he said that. You, you say that you love me, but you... You, you don't do the things that I say. You know what he wants? He wants to live through us. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. You want to have a good Christmas this year? Remember that it's not about the cross. It's not about the, 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 the cradle. It's not about the manger. It's not about the baby. It's about the cross. Celebrate what Christ did for you. How he died for you on the cross. How, how he rose again on the third day. And praise God, he's now exalted above all else. But beyond that, if you're a child of God, honor him with your life. He loved you. He gave himself for you. Don't pretend to love him and then ignore him. My wife would shoot me if I did that. But we, te- but we treat God like that all the time. We'll go to church on Sunday and never pick up our Bible Monday through Saturday. That's a dust it off. Don't treat God like that. Be obedient to the word. Don't be a hearer only. James talks about that. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Read the word, study the word, apply the word, live the word, and let the word dwell in you and transform you and strengthen you and equip you. Because that's how we work out our own salvation. And listen, there's a purpose. Jesus didn't just die because he wanted a collection of saints up in heaven to worship him. He's working in us so that we might glorify God with our life. Paul says in Ephesians that we are to be the praise of his glory. He says that, says that phrase five or six times. Meaning our lives, that, that we have been transformed and changed uh, in such a way that our lives glorify God. That would be a, the best celebration of Christmas we could ever have accomplished. Pray, Father God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that if there's one here this, this evening that's never trusted in you, God, I pray that today they would see their need of salvation, that they're going to stand before you in judgment, and they trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Lord, if, there's, if we have gotten off track and, and our lives are weakened because of, our, uh, because of, 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 of just our, our lack of obedience to your word or a lack of understanding of the word, Lord, we need to grow. God, I pray that you would help us. 
honor and glorify you with our lives today. Lord, that we, our focus would be upon, upon you, Lord, that you would have, the, have that, 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 the name Lord in our life. You would sit upon the throne and that we would worship you. God, I thank you for all that you've done. I ask these things in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen.